Job chapter 23, verse number 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. I go forward, he is not there. I go backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, for some reason, even when I look for him on the left hand where I know he's working, I cannot behold him. And on the right hand, it's as though he has hidden himself and I cannot see him. I want to talk to you today for the sake of your remembrance from this subject, trusting in what I cannot see. Trusting in what I cannot see. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word today. It's divinely inspired. It is God-breathed. And we need you to breathe in this room today. I plead the blood of Calvary over this room. And I ask God that for every individual that's sitting in this house today, that your presence would become more real to them than it has ever been. And that your word would be more alive than they have ever seen or known. I pray for a spirit of revelation to visit us today. That good seed would be planted in good rich soil. That it would take root and grow. And that there, O oh God, would be fruit of the labor of your word today. As it is planted in the vineyard of truth. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. I would feel so much better right now if you would put your Bibles down, clap your hands unto the Lord, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He is so good. Praise you. May the Lord richly bless you for standing today. You may be seated. If you're a guest here and you wonder why this church stands so much, I want to I be crystal clear to you today. It is not because their pastor is a dictator and makes them stand the whole service. It's because these people love to worship. And uh, I've, I've learned over the last years of my life uh, in serving in this church that you can get up and say, you may be seated, but as soon as the music starts, they get right back up. And so if, if you're looking for a dead church, this is not it. If you're looking for a church where people are excited about what the Lord has done in their life, you found it. If you're looking for a church full of perfect people, I hate to disappoint you, but this should be your last visit here today. If you're looking for a church that's full of imperfect people that are grateful for the goodness of God... You're in the right place at the right time. Amen. Amen. It has been an absolute honor in my lifetime to be connected to this church. I am thankful to be connected to such amazing people. And uh, thank the Lord for deep roots in this church. For the precious people of God that just keep on coming to the house of the Lord. Amen. I've seen you go through seasons 
that I know beyond a doubt it would have been easier for you to just stay home. And I thank God that you are faithful and your pastor loves you today. Amen. Job is quite an interesting story. I can't ever really read from Job or preach the book of Job without mentioning the obvious for us that you can read Job and you can rejoice. Nine times out of ten, if you hear a preacher quote something from the book of Job, it's going to be something in the neighborhood of uh, perhaps I know that my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. If you hear something quoted from Job while someone is preaching, more than likely they're going to quote, uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. These are the statements of faith that are made by Job, not when the sun is shining, but when dark clouds are hanging over his life. It is easy to rejoice while we see Job rejoice because we can read the whole story. But I really can't imagine how Job felt while he was living the story. There is something amazing about being a child of God that if you really trust the Lord, you know in your mind that you don't have to worry because God's got it taken care of. But speaking that and living that are polar opposites. I can tell you that I trust Him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, my spirit, everything I have physically, mentally, and spiritually. I can tell you that I trust Him with my money. I can tell you that I trust Him with my family. You can put all of that before God and say, I, I thank the Lord for health in my family and I trust God to keep my family safe. What do you do when your kids get sick? Where are you now, God? What do you do when your back's against the wall financially? Well, Lord, I, 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 I've been giving my tithe. Why am I against the wall financially? Why, why is this happening, Lord? I've been faithful to you. And so we say that we trust him, but when we've got to put some shoes on them feet of faith and make them walk, it is a difficult thing for me to live what I say I believe. It is one of the most easy things to preach and get a congregation moving and you can go to just about any conference that's ready to hear a word from God and just stand up and say, we walk by faith, not by sight. And surely somebody's going to stand up on their feet and clap because they all know that we walk by faith. And you can jump out in Hebrews 11 and you can preach it all day long. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For, and man, just rip on down through there. For by it the elders obtained a good report. And you can walk through Moses and you can walk through Abram. You can walk through Noah. You can just, my, my God, you can preach it all day long. But when you start looking at the characters in Faith's Hall of Fame, as Bishop Bingham always called Hebrews 11, you start walking through there with Abram. It's easy for us to celebrate the faith of Abram, but it'd be difficult to put on his sandals and walk for three days towards a mountain with the promise that God gave him and have to lay that promise down on a sacrificial pyre and say, okay, Lord, now what you gave me, I'm giving back to you. We can read of the faith of Moses who 
by faith. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And man, you can rejoice and look at the boldness in that guy. Look how powerful he was. Now, actually, if you read uh, in the book of Exodus, you realize that the Pharaoh who was his adopted grandfather had passed away, and now there was a new Pharaoh that was in Egypt. And so whatever the relation was, whether this was Uncle Pharaoh, uh, uh, great-grandfather Pharaoh, I don't know exactly who it was that took uh, the role of his grandfather Pharaoh, but there was a new Pharaoh that was in. So you have to understand that whoever this Pharaoh was, he did not quite have the love for Moses that his grandfather Pharaoh, adopted grandfather, would have had for him. This was a difficult thing for Moses to walk in and to look with boldness down his nose at this Pharaoh who was the most powerful man in all the world and say to him with boldness, let my people go. Moses wrestled with it, man. He's in the wilderness wrestling with God. The Lord says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go tell Pharaoh, set my people free, let him go. And he goes, Lord, I, I, I can't speak those things. Now listen, this is how the enemy works. It's crazy. I don't know if Moses had a speech impediment or, or what. I've, I've heard it preached a lot of different things when he says that it, he's got difficulty with speech. It could very well be that he had some, some impediment. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he stuttered or or what it was, but what I think is very interesting is that Moses is speaking to the Lord out of his mouth while saying, I have difficulty talking. You understand what I'm saying? He is telling God with his mouth why his mouth cannot work. I am speaking freely to you right now and telling you why the odds are against me and why I cannot uh, be successful and victorious in this. And it's like you read through the story and you just see it's like, well, you big dummy. Are you really going to tell God that you can't talk, but you can talk plain enough to tell him why you can't do it? Isn't it something? Because the truth of the matter is, excuses are always easier to find than victory. That may be some of the best preaching I've preached all year right there. I said excuses are always easier to find than victory. You can always find a reason for why you cannot overcome. You can always find a reason for why you should not get up and come to church. You can always find a reason for why you should not commit your life and give it back to God. But if you ever start counting the reasons as to why God has been so good to you, what Moses had to understand in that moment is it's really not about you anyways, Moses. You are going to be the mouthpiece that I use to accomplish my work. Can I just encourage somebody and tell you today, don't worry about how sharp you are. Don't worry about how powerful you are. When God is on your side and God is working for you there is nothing that's impossible if God takes you into this trial of your life and he fails you then you better write a book and you're going to be a billionaire because you would be the first person in history that God ever said I'm going to be with you and I'm going to walk with you and then him walk off and leave you can I tell you that in the darkness of the night he is as much with you as he is when the sun is shining 
I'm glad that he doesn't just hang out with me when all is well. But I know that all is well even when it's a dark time because he's with me. You you absolutely can walk your way through Faith Hall of Fame and rejoice at the power of the faith of these people. My goodness. Noe, what faith he had to build this big box, put his family in it. Let me remind you folks that what he was preaching from the Lord is that it's going to rain. If I got up here and preached to you today, it's going to rain. You wouldn't be much excited because you've seen rain. But what Noah was preaching was brand new. Nobody had ever seen rain. There had never been a child stand outside and raindrops dance on their tongue. Never. Never happened. There had never been a day that humanity looked across a an open canyon as there was a mist and a rain falling and saw a rainbow because the sun had got at just the right angle and they could see the beautiful rainbow through the sunshine and the rain. Never happened. It took faith for him to tell the world that the rain is coming because sometimes you've got to step out and do things that are outside of your comfort zone. Before you celebrate how powerful the faith of these people are and start making statements like, I wish I had their faith, then you better start thinking about what you're asking God for. Are you really ready to step out to the forefront and be the mockery of the whole world? Who is this fool? Who does he think he is? Who is this big green dummy that's standing up here saying, it's going to rain? What's rain anyway? Why is he wasting his time cutting down all these trees? Why is he wasting his time building this great big old huge box? And where in the world is it going to float? But all of them had a change of mind when that first drop of rain came down and kissed the earth. And all of a sudden what was a sunshiny day became a cloud covered day. And that overcast turned into some cumulonimbus clouds that were full of rain. And all of a sudden the heavens opened up and something began to happen that had never happened before. Can I tell you right now that, Joe, that, uh, that uh, Noah's faith was not as tested uh, when he was standing out there building as he was the day when the rain started coming down. And he was saying, okay, Lord, this door is too big for me to shut. So if the door's going to be shut, you're going to have to shut it. That takes all the pressure off of him and puts it on God. It was God. God's instruction to build it. It was God's judgment that it was raining. And so now it was up to Noah. Just get in the will of God and stay in the will of God. If God says it, then do it. It doesn't matter if it sounds crazy. Get in the will of God and stay in the will of God. And he gets on that boat and all of a sudden that door begins to come up off the earth that all of the animals had walked on. But more than the animals, his faith was blessed when his family of eight got on. The animals, yes, that was the will of God. But when his family began to walk up the door of that ark and got onto that boat can I tell you right then it was worth it for every tree that had been cut down for every pitch that had been mixed together to pitch within and without you hear me right now when Noah's family got on the ark there was nothing that had cost him too much to be sure that his family was saved 
You can celebrate faith. You, 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 can, you, can, talk about, you can talk about faith. But you hear me right now when I tell you that Noah's concern could not be the people that were speaking against him while he was building. There is a powerful principle that if you overlook it, you're going to miss the story in its, in its fullness. There were always people that had something negative to say to Noah. Always. But he kept on building. Because he was not building for them. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second. It did not affect him because he was not building for them. You ever seen somebody get upset and walk away from God because of people? Isn't that something? Way later in life, their bitter backslid left God. Why'd you leave? Because so-and-so did me wrong. So you were building for them. If you let people outside the ark keep you distracted, when the rain comes, you're not going to have a cover either. So you've got to make up in your mind, no matter what it costs you, that I would absolutely rather hear the sound of lumber being pressed together and pegs being driven into it and whatever I've got to do to be, be sure that the ark is finished because when it starts raining and the door closes, what they've said doesn't matter anymore. Now, I'm going to teach to you for just a minute. I'll get back to preaching in just a second, okay? There are people that will look at you and they'll say things to you like, everything you do is not necessary to serve the Lord. It costs you people too much to serve God. You Pentecostals, you got so many rules in your life. You know, that's so funny because I've never, ever, ever looked at it as a rule. Ever. It's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to give my life to God. My family and I were on a cruise, and I don't want to chase a rabbit hole for too long, but we went on a cruise for vacation several weeks ago. It's been almost a month ago now. It's hard to believe. And this gentleman walked up to me. Um, maybe I should tell you the story where I was, I guess. I was at the buffet. What do you do, you know? I was at the buffet, and again, and, and I, 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 was, I was just walking up there, and man, I was, I was, I was chilling. I was chilling like Dylan on penicillin, and I was walking around in my, my, my thin, uh, I don't even know what you call them. We used to always call them ball pants. These were my basketball pants. I had them. Sports pants and a t-shirt and a ball cap, and I was flip-flopping it, you know. Man, I was just walking around. In my, I know y'all can't imagine pastoring flip-flops, but it felt good. I knew I didn't have to adjust my tie. And this man walks up to me. I could tell in his eyes he had a really kind spirit. And he walked up to me, and he said, hey, man, are you guys uh, Pentecostal? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, like, apostolic? 
I said, yeah. He said, I was raised in Pentecost. He said, my daddy was a Pentecostal preacher. And we started talking. I'm not going to get into the full story of, of, of all of it, but I want to tell you, God has, has blessed me with a friend in my life that I've been connected to over the last month. We've talked every week. And he's a great blessing in my life right now. But I want to tell you something that's amazing. He does not, he does not attend uh, an apostolic church anymore. His life has gone on. He got off track as a young teenager. And, and uh, he came up to me and just opened up his heart and began to talk. And for the rest of our vacation, every time we'd see each other, we'd get together and we'd laugh and we'd cut up and we'd exchange phone numbers and we'd text and we'd talk every week. It was amazing. But I want to I share this with you. Because I want you to understand that, that not everybody despises living a holy life. And I, I asked him the question. I said, how in the world did you know who we were? He said, man, as soon as I saw your wife and your girls walk by, he said, I, I knew exactly who you were. He said, I could tell by your spirit who you were. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, if... if his name's Mark. My buddy Mark sees this. He won't mind me telling. He's a real transparent guy. But him and his wife went home. They went to their church that weekend. And uh, I'm just going to give you the short version of the story. They sat down together. Apparently, we're talking. And she said to him, she said, Mark, after being with the St. Clairs last week, I think you and I need to really pray and consider where God would have us going to church because I'm not sure where we're going right now is the will of God. I want, I want you to understand what I'm saying. He knew, he knew who we were, where we had come from. He knew that. She didn't have a clue who we were or where we had came from. But if you carry, if you carry the conviction in your life with disdain, people are going to pick up on that. You, you cannot live a life of conviction with dread. You've got to live a life of conviction with love and passion and let people know it is not a dread to serve Jesus. What God blesses me with is so much greater than anything I ever walked away from in the world. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? He will fulfill you like an alcohol bottle will never fulfill you. He can fulfill you like a bottle of pills can never fulfill you. He can absolutely turn your life around. He will make the difference in you. You may be looking for answers. Well, I've got good news. The answer is here today. So people, people look at you and say, oh, man, that, that costs too much. You should never, ever do that. Well, listen, here's what I want you to understand. God's always had people that were separated unto him. Always. Always. And when I look at what we have to go through to be separated, I feel like Minnie Mouse if I start complaining about what I have to deal with. Have y'all ever thought about the fact that Noah didn't just go to the local lumber yard? I mean, there, was, there, there were no lumberjacks. If that dude was going to build an ark, he had to go out there and cut every tree down, him and his boys. Every morning when the sun came up, they're out there cutting down trees, shaving them off, making them look right. He didn't run down to the store and get some pitch to pitch out within and without. He was invested in it. It cost him something. He's in Faith Hall of Fame, not because it was cheap. Preach. 
Man, I figured at least somebody would give me a woo. You don't test your faith buying cheap stuff. If you want something that's worth its weight, you better be invested in it. It is not too much for the Lord to ask me to seek his face every day. It is not too much of the Lord to ask me to push myself away from the table every now and then and fast and give myself to him in consecration. Can you imagine what the world thinks about you when they ask you about your spiritual walk with God and you go, yeah. Why do you live like you? That's, well, that's, that's the way I was raised. My pastor preaches we should do that, and so that's what we do. Well, you got me convinced. <laughs> Man, where do I sign the dotted line? I got to get me some of that. What about these people, though, that are just crazy, all-out fanatics? That when they say, are, are you, uh, you Pentecostal? Absolutely. But why there? Why are you a Pentecostal? Why do you do that? Because God brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He established my going. Well, don't you think there may be somewhere else you could go that would be a little bit easier? Oh, absolutely. But I'm not doing it because it's cheap. I'm doing it because it's worth it. I don't live for God because it's inexpensive. I live for God because it's cheaper than going to hell and being lost. I want to be saved. We've got to get back to reality and quit letting the news and, and our society affect our biblical views. I want to tell you, there really is a place called heaven and there really is a place called hell and there really is a thing called eternity and at the end of your life, that's all that matters. So serve God while you can. Give God the best you have. Live for Him in sincerity and in truth. So I'm, I'm hurrying to my point. i got to get there pretty quickly. So Faith's Hall of Fame is powerful. You can read through Job and you can rejoice because you know the end of the story. But while you're Job in the story, it is so hard to rejoice. Job is a broken man. He's dealing with uh, the powers of darkness, attacking his family. And if you go through and read it, I'll spare you the time. He loses his home, his kids, his cattle. Everything. You talk about natural disaster. Insurance companies are writing their books off the book of Job. Dude lost everything. Everything. They're like, if a guy named Job ever comes in here for a policy, the answer is no. You couldn't afford premiums if you were Job. There's no way. Because he lost everything. It was irreplaceable. And so Job, if we know anything, he was surrounded by encouraging people. You ever notice when you're really down, you can always find well-meaning people that probably think they're encouraging you, but they're not. His wife, his confidant, his neighbor, his fellow laborer, his beloved bride walks up to him in the second chapter. The ninth verse, after he had just broke a vessel and scraped 
sores off of his body. And she said, so you still retain your integrity? Read chapter 2 and verse 9. It's, it's repeated. You still got integrity? What I think you should do is just curse God and die. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but let me just throw this lead balloon out over the crowd and see if it'll fly. If dying is what Job wanted to do, then cursing God would have been an option. Because Job knew if I curse God, I'll die. But Job didn't want to die. He wanted to live. So cursing God was not an option. I don't know how to say this today without just jumping out here and, and busting a move. But I want to tell somebody, don't curse him yet. Don't give up yet. There is a life after the storm. There is a life when the storm blows over. When your grief and sorrow begins to lighten and you've learned how to go about life a new way, there is still life after this storm. When you come through this fiery trial, Job said it, I shall come forth as gold. Now verse 10. Verse 10, you're going to think this was rude. I thought it was powerful. She said, just curse God and die. He said to her, you speak like a foolish woman because only a fool would give up and die now. When you reach a certain place in your faith, oh man, I hope this helps somebody. When you reach a certain place in your faith, that you're not really as worried about how bad it's going to get from here. But you've already got it in your mind. If I've been through this much and still made it, I can't wait to see what my recovery is. I don't want to die because I can't wait to see what God is going to do with me on the other side of this thing. Speak like a fool. You speak, you speak foolishly. You say silly things. You say that I should just curse God and get over it and die and pull up my feet. But I'm not living because of this defeat. I'm living for the victory that is yet to come. So I hurry to my text this morning. Job said in 23, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier. Then my groaning, oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. If I could just find out where God's sitting, I'd make the journey and come before him. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me. And I would understand what he would say to me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No. No. But he would put strength 
in me. If I could just get to God, if I could just hear his voice, I know that God is going to put some strength within me. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. And this is where he said, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I'm looking for him. I go backward and I cannot perceive him. I felt behind me and I could not find him. And I want to tell you the rest of that story. You will never find him behind you because he's not in taking you back from where you've been. He wants to take you. There's only one enemy that wants to take you back into your past. And it is not the Lord. It's the devil. He wants to drag you back to where you've been. That's why you'll never perceive him behind you. I don't have time to preach that, but just chew on that for a little while. He said, on the left hand where he doth work, and I cannot behold him. No matter how many times I wipe my eyes, I just cannot see him. He hideth himself on the right hand. That I cannot see him. Verse 10 is so powerful. But he knoweth the way. After his wife and Zelophaz and all these comforters have started questioning him and asking him goofy stuff. He finally comes back after all their queries with an answer of his own. He said, you know what? There's some truth to what you're saying. Because I've gone forward and couldn't find him. I've gone backwards and can't find him. I've looked on the left hand and on the right hand. And I cannot find him. Job is saying this. He said, I may not know where he is. But he knows exactly where I am. I cannot find him in front of me. I cannot find him behind me. I cannot find him on the left. And I cannot find him on the right. But he knows the way that I take. He knows exactly where I am. I've come to tell somebody today, you don't have to see him to trust him. you just got to know that when you don't have answers for tomorrow, you know who holds tomorrow. He knows exactly where you are. Stand with me, would you please? He, (laughs) I don't know where he is, but he knows exactly where I am. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth. Listen to that prophetic voice right there. When, 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 when he has tried me, he puts an expiration on it. When he's finished with this, when he's tried me, I'm coming forth. I'm coming forth. I'm coming forth. And I'm not coming forth with a dull glimmer. I'm not coming forth as stainless steel that's rusted out and fallen apart. No, no. He said, when he has tried me, I'm coming out of this thing and I'm going to shine brighter than I've ever shined before. I'm going to be tougher than I've ever been before. I'm going to be more valuable than I've ever been before. God is adding value to me while I'm in this trial. Value is being added to me. I'm not going to curse God now. He's adding value to me. Being able to find value is such a powerful tool against the enemy. Because I don't have to see the end to know the end is coming. I've been guilty of 
praying those prayers before and saying, okay, God, how long? How long will I toil through this? And I don't want to disappoint anybody today. I know if anybody should know answers, Pastor should. It's an amazing job to never have trouble but get to help everybody with theirs. Here's what I feel like telling you. All the times that I've queried God about how long it would last, guess how many times he's answered me? A big fat goose egg. Never one time has he told me. It'll be over in a month. It'll be over. You know why? Because any goldsmith knows you cannot have a predetermined set time for a piece of gold of how long it's going to be in the fire before it becomes pure because it's a process. You heat it up and the dross is exposed, so you remove it. You heat it up again and the dross comes to the top and you scrape it off. But the trained eye of a goldsmith knows when enough is enough. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. There is nothing else left in this gold that I have to refine. Because now he's ready to be formed and made. When he has tried me. Job was saying he knows where I'm at in the process. It's hot. He's trying me right now. But he knows where I'm at. He knows the temperature. I don't know where you came from this morning, what you're going through. We have wonderful guests here that I'm so blessed to have you here. And I don't want you to feel at all uncomfortable when I say this to you. But the reason you came here ultimately today is because you needed a touch from Jesus. You don't have to believe me when I tell you this. But when you made up your mind that you were going to come to this house today, the Lord began to speak to the heart of this preacher and said, I'm going to give you a word for somebody that's going to be here today. It's no accident that you're here because you've been through some stuff. But here's what I've got to get you to see. After everything that you've been through, you're still here. (laughs) You're still breathing. You're still alive. If the devil had control of the fight, you would have already been destroyed. But God, in his wise providence, has rested on you this day and drawn you to the house of God so that you could hear in this moment right now that you may not know where God is, but God knows exactly where you are. And he's reaching for you in this house today. You've got to take all the pain and the hurt and the brokenness and the bitterness and lay it down at the feet of Jesus today and say, Lord, I'm here desiring one more touch of you. Would you reach out for him today? These altars are open. Would you just reach out to him this morning? Come on, God's doing great things.